to 24-7 Podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Brunts and Christofferson. And we have some bad news that we're going to start the podcast with. Brunts, uh, would you like to share that with us? Uh, it is with a heavy heart that uh, can report that apparently Red Panda's unicycle was stolen uh, at San Francisco International Airport this week. I, I'm still flustered by the news. Um, I don't know what somebody's doing with a seven-foot custom unicycle, uh, but apparently uh, the famous Red Panda is quite cut up about it, dropping bowls uh, with, with the backup unicycle. So, uh, if, and apparently a two thousand dollar reward is being offered for its return. So I'll go further than that. I would pitch in a hundred dollars myself, <laughs> and I think whoever it is should be locked up for life. It's a it's a death penalty situation for you. I I, I don't want to get into a death penalty argument on this particular situation, <laughs> but this is one of those where I think it makes everyone kind of think about it a little bit. I was a little disappointed that. When Nebraska played on Saturday night against Iowa, Red Panda was in the state, but performing at halftime of the, the Nebraska or the Creighton Georgetown game that night. Did you just almost refer to him as Nebraska Creighton? I did, but I—that's how cut up I am about this whole thing. Wow! Uh, but instead, we got little kids playing basketball at halftime uh, rather than Red Panda. So I have a quick story about Red Panda. One of the favorite things. Of, it's probably a top 10 favorite thing is one time I and Panda was performing in Lincoln at, I believe it was at the Devaney Center and Tom Osborne was in a seat like a section over from me and I just watched Tom the entire time Red Panda <laughs> perform I mean it was kind of creepy probably but I was just watching Tom and he was so like taken by Red Panda and it was just a joy to watch the great doctor be riveted just like the rest of us by this skill set just did he greatness and awe of greatness? Is that <laughs> I, I kind of thought that. Did yeah. he clap? I mean, was there like he was, childish? He was glee? watching it. He was watching it like a coach watches something where they don't show like a ton of emotion, but there was just kind of a look of satisfaction on his face that you could see, kind of a wry smile. Like, yes, we we nailed this halftime show. It was like that Robert Redford gif of yeah, it was a little like that for five to 10 minutes. I think he had one of his grandkids with him too. And so it was like, uh, you know, everything was working. Was he shooing away autograph seekers? Not at the time. I think everyone knew. Well, you know how people are when red pandas performing They're They're, they're in their seats. Yeah. That's where they are. Yeah. They're not milling around the concourse real quickly. Red Panda, your number one halftime show? Uh, yes, I think so. Who's who's close? Uh, Quick Change. So Quick Change was at uh, the Creighton Nebraska game a couple of years ago in Omaha, and I have to say, seeing that up close, it's pretty impressive. Like Red Panda, very impressive. But I, I was, I used to poo-poo Quick Change. Not anymore. I I, I would say they're probably my number two. Uh, the guy that juggles the chainsaws, that's probably number three. And the guy with the chairs, I think, oh, would probably no. be number no, four. No, no way. <laughs> I like that no guy, too. No chance. I like that guy. Why? I just like the idea. Think about it this way. At one point in that man's life, probably at a young age, he started climbing up chairs, and he's like, I can make a living doing this. I also like the fan. Isn't there a... Guy who has like twelve to fifteen kids that like they dribble basketballs or something. Yes. 
I think and, they're based out of Minnesota. And we are we are very opposite in what we I, I do not like either the chair stacking or the unicycle family and their basketball skills at all. I just like how disturbing it is. I like that this guy is like, let's keep cranking out kids so I can have this halftime show. At some point he decided we need we need like four or five more. Is that the one that ends where like and this is terrible that I even know like how the the performance ends. The plot. The, 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 the like kids are like circled around in the middle of the court, and, and some kid unfurls like this big pole thing, and then like starts spinning a basketball like it's a big disco yeah. ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't like that. It's a terrible halftime show. I, not, I, I just you like the family. Yeah, is what you're saying. I like that this guy told his wife like, we need, we need six more. We need six more kids if we're gonna do this right. What's your, what's, what's your number one? <laughs> My number one's Red Panda. Uh, and then Quick Change is up there for me. Unlike you, I've never really just disregarded it and its greatness. Um, I I mean, you went after me, what, a couple basketball games ago for saying that I greatly enjoyed the, the dogs? Yeah, it's a little played out. Uh, well, these aren't the frisbee-catching dogs. I mean, these were... These were a different set of dogs. Like this was a, an entirely different halftime show to me. It was short. You you did point that out, but I would take that every time over the chair stacking and death defying event of the amazing Slatic. I, I like that the guy though that, that juggles the chainsaws. I mean, it's the same thing. Where like at some point in this guy's life, he's sitting there like out in his garage, looking at his power tools, and sees his chainsaw, fires it up, and thinks. What if I got three more of these and juggled them around? Mm-hmm. But the, the other thing that's interesting about Red Panda, and I, the, we were waiting for basketball availability, and apparently, like th- this is like something that runs in her family. Like her mother was a was a bowl flipper, <laughs> her grandmother was a bowl flipper. Um, lived in China for a while. Um, every acrobat troupe over there that like you pay and you have dinner or whatever, and you you know get the show. Everybody has a bowl flipper. Like Red Panda's over here in the U.S. just cleaning up, making like seventy five hundred bucks a night. Mm-hmm. And there's these people over in China where there's probably like five million bowl flippers. I would guess. Why wouldn't you start a business where you just brought them over? Yes, it feels like you are, can make some money. Are you like an agent kind of a situation? Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah, because Red I mean, Panda... You're the one... You're setting up the shows for them. You handle the travel yeah. and the arrangement. They go and flip the bulls. Red Panda's in her 40s, probably. Yeah. Yeah. There's You could probably go find yourself like a 23-year-old okay. to, to you know that takes her out. I what mean, if... Here's the question. <laughs> what if you... <laughs> We're seven minutes into this, but I think this is a good conversation. What if you had, what if you combined the, the 12 people thing and you had like an army of like 12 bull yeah. flippers on unicycles? Not bad. Yeah. I think we could get somewhere with that. Yeah. I mean, if, if you were to leave 24-7 sports for that business venture or even as a side job, I mean, I would fully understand. I feel like I'd need to start dressing differently, though, if I were like a halftime act <laughs> agent. Like sl- oh. slick the hair back. I'd like what to read I that have? email from you, though. I would, I would just like be nodding my head as I read that email. It's like I get it, I get it. Yeah, man wants to follow his dream. It it could certainly work. Uh, she, when is the last time she performed at a Nebraska? It's game? been a couple of years. Why? Uh, well, she's expensive for one. Um, so I don't know. They could just have more kids playing basketball 
like for six games and not paying the amazing Sladek? Yes. Okay. Red Panda won't perform until Nebraska breaks its NCAA tournament <laughs> drought. No, that would now be that's headline. inspiration. Yeah. yeah, that would be a headline right there. All right, we're we're eight minutes into okay. this thing. Right. Let's talk Let's some. Just go straight into basketball then. Okay. Just get basketball and and uh, go from Red Panda to bracketology. Nobody likes Nebraska. Nobody thinks Nebraska is very good. Nobody thinks Nebraska is going to be playing in the NCAA tournament in March. And Nebraska beat Wisconsin in a very unusual game on, what, Monday? Yeah. So they, I mean, they basically won how they've won a lot of games this year where they look like they're in the weeds, then all of a sudden they come back and. A little bit different, though. I mean, I don't recall a whole lot of double digit comebacks for them this year. No, but I mean, I mean like, they, they've had games where they don't look good and then they pull it out and win. Right. Well, I mean, even on the other night, I mean, you, you've got Iowa at home. You're leading by double up. digits at halftime, and then all of a sudden it's almost tied. And yep. then Nebraska did, kind of did the same thing. But um, it'll be interesting. I mean, Nebraska, if they go 6-0 and to finish, they're going to be 23-8 and in the regular season, which would tie the most, numbers of, most number of wins in a season uh, since 1987, as, as far back as I went. Stat department working today. I lied. They were on 26, 26 and 91. Uh, yeah. Stat department. So, but second most in that stretch, and they still might miss the tournament. Yeah. <laughs> I I keep thinking about that Kansas game over and over again when I watch that team. I mean, but, think if you had that, though. Definitely, and I agree with you, but it's so ridiculous when you say that out loud that a team, like if they were to finish with only 21 wins versus 23. And it's decided by one point. Yeah, that a, a one-point loss to Kansas – is or a one point win over Kansas is more valuable than three conference wins or something like that. Isn't like it, I think that's kind of ridiculous. Isn't your takeaway listening to people outside the state that most people like Nebraska from the eye test? Like I think a lot of national people think they're an NCAA tournament team and could be a problem mm-hmm. um, for people if they got there. But it's just the metrics. Yeah, the paper test is what's failing. Mm-hmm. So right right now their resume as it stands, you've got two top 100 wins right now over Michigan and Boston College. That Minnesota game's looking less and less impressive by the day. Which is unfair because at the time Minnesota was ranked. Right. They had one loss. They were 13-3 and three going into, what, their second or, no, fourth conference game. Like, if, if Minnesota doesn't count for them, then the whole system seems sort of flawed because it's an entirely different Minnesota team. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got one top 100 game left on the schedule in Maryland. Nebraska doesn't really have bad losses either. I mean, they've got the the Penn State game, at least on paper, and Saint d- doesn't look good. St. John's, they were still right around 100 in the RPI. That's going to look that, worse. That RPI is largely because of the Big East being so strong, which right. is questionable too. The whole RPI metrics – get infuriating because you just have these conferences that if they all play each other a bunch and they start at this similar RPI line, it enhances their conference so greatly. It makes it hard. Yeah. No, I mean, and I, I think I think if Nebraska's kind of in that pool of teams where you get past the, the resume and start going eye test, I think that's one area where they can really stand out. But um, – you know, by the time this season's done, like let's say they, you know, finish four and two or, or something like that down the stretch, 
their their resume is going to look really similar to like a mid-major at-large team where they don't really have any good wins. They've got a lot of a lot of wins, but um, you know where they fit in. I mean, it's kind of a scary place to be too because I think it kind of leaves you open to getting pushed out if there's a, an upset in a conference tournament and like you know the a ten or something like that. Yeah, I just keep thinking if they end up with a double buy, how it actually probably hurts them that they end up with a double buy. If apparently conference standings isn't part of the the metrics that's being used by the NCAA tournament. Yeah, don't you see it all? Maybe coming down to a four or five Nebraska Michigan game to settle if they get in. Could be. Because yeah. I mean, if you look at the standings. There's kind of a gap between three and four. Isn't there like a game and a half difference? And then from Michigan to whoever's six is at Penn State right now. Um, there's about a game and a half. So, I mean, a lot of stuff can still happen, but it, it feels like that's the matchup that's going to take place. Well, I think you got to win that Maryland game too because they're going to be a team that's kind of in a similar place to, to where Nebraska's at where, you know, they, they've kind of been up and down um, and, and would be, you know, if you're talking about – you know, maybe getting five Big Ten teams in, I think they're going to be in that small pool of teams as well. Yeah, and that's on February 13th. That's two games from now, three games from now. Uh, they've got Minnesota, and they're on the road to Minnesota next Tuesday. And then they're home against Rutgers on Saturday, and they're home on Tuesday again against Maryland. And you go 3-0 and in that stretch, all of a sudden you've got – what left? You have Indiana, at, Illinois, at, at Illinois, Indiana, and then Penn State at home. Yeah. I mean that's and that looks like that could be a possible two and one, three and zero oh as well. So, I mean they've got to just stack these wins, and all the conversation is going to be about how they look when it comes to the the tournament time. But if you keep winning, you're going to erase some of those questions about your program. Yeah, it's. The the whole conversation at the end of the season is going to be interesting because you've got you know some questions about or at least to start the year about what Tim Miles's future is at Nebraska. I think the other night against Wisconsin, I think was probably one of the better in game coaching jobs he's done to manage the fact that you had Roby Chmanga, you know, basically would breathe on Hap and get a foul call uh, at the end of the game in the one three one. You've got Evan Taylor essentially playing center. Uh, and you you know come back and, and win that game, and I, I think he's done a good job the last few games of just kind of getting out of the way and letting guys play, uh, just running motion and, and letting guys get to the rim. I mean that that's been when they when they've been at their best, and I, I think sometimes in college basketball coaches tend to over over manage, over coach, uh, and sometimes you know if you've got guys that can play, you just let them play, and you're gonna have success. Yeah, you could take issue with some stuff they've done offensively in some key moments this season that you wish they had back. But I do think in evaluating his coaching from a layman's perspective, on the defensive end, they've done a heck of a job because I thought early in the year that was not going to be a very good defensive basketball team, I mm-hmm. didn't think. And he does he mixes in that 1-3-1 one, one zone every game just enough but not too much, I think. It's – it's kind of like the old diamond formation Nebraska used to run in football. <laughs> Everybody wanted where they, they would bust it out once in a while and it would always work and people would be like, why don't you run it more? But there's an advantage to, to limiting it. So James Palmer is in the midst of a very impressive run here. 
for Nebraska. Even on nights where, I mean, against Wisconsin, he wasn't particularly good in the first half, but he kept finding ways to score points, get to the rim. I think they eventually figured out that Hap is the only person that could cover him. Um, I have just been really impressed by the way that he plays because he's he's got so many different weapons that he can beat you with. And he's gotten better at the free throw line, which has kind of been a problem for him. Uh, and I, I really, down the stretch, to have a guy like that, you go into all of these games. I mean, James Palmer might be the best scorer on the court in every single game they play for the next regular season six. That doesn't happen around here often. And then you throw in Copeland, who seems to be red hot, shooting from the floor, too. Yeah, I think I think Nebraska thought that James Palmer had the ability to score in bunches, but I don't know that they really foresaw yeah. how good he's been. I mean, he's been hit from the outside. He gets to the line. I mean, we, we've talked about this where – you know, you get into the second half of a game and you look up at the scoreboard and he's at like 23 points and it, it didn't feel, you, you hardly notice it um, with just how efficient he is and, and how good he is at, at drawing contact and getting to the line. So, uh, you know, if they, I, I think that's been the one good thing for this offense is that they've been able to lean on him a little bit um, when they've had those scoring droughts or just, you know, basically go make a play is, is what they draw up. I was shocked to find out he played 38 minutes the other night. I mean, if you're getting that from him, that means you're not going to get in a lot of those rotations where it feels like you don't have any offensive players out there when, you know, Gill or Glenn Watson remain to be struggling like they are. I looked it up the other day. I want to say it's the last four games. Uh, Anton Gill is three of 17 from three. And he's still shooting over forty percent for the season. Yeah, like that's remarkable. Yeah, he was he, he was really good uh, in the middle part of that season. So, you know, it's they need to get him going a little bit. If Gill played slightly better, they beat Ohio State. Yeah, which would give them the kind of the scalp they need to to hold up to the the committee. But they they definitely can use him down the stretch. Kind of would it be fair to say he's a better version of Ray Gallegos from that 2013-14 group where he was pretty helpful for them in moments with some key three-pointers, but you didn't really need to rely on him? Yeah, I think so. I, I think I think Gill's a little bit more of a complete player. Too. Oh, yeah. I, there, I don't mean to say that he's – I mean, he's a much better player than Ray Gallegos in a lot of facets, but the role that he could play – down the stretch, I think, could be really big if he can keep back up. I mean, if you're shooting 3 of 17, you're not helping anybody. Right. Yeah, no, they, they just need to get more in general, I think, from their guards. I mean, it's Gill and, and Watson have both been inconsistent. Evan Taylor, I, I think, at times has been okay since they moved him to the bench and had him kind of coming off the bench as that sixth guy. But they, they need a little bit more consistency from those three guys, I think, going forward if they want to you know, finish strong here. All right. Well, do we want to jump over to football? You have anything else you want to throw in basketball wise? Uh, I think we're good. BC, I'm good. Any final halftime thoughts? Uh, I'm just over here emailing acrobat troops in China while you guys are talking. So, continue. <laughs> in your travels to China, have you seen acrobat shows? Over I have. There? Yeah. It's are the, they like way better than anything over here? Uh, 
Well, I mean, the I would say that their acrobat shows are better than the ones here. Yes, but no, um, I don't know. I don't know what your standard the, for acrobat. The Chinese food is better too. If believe, really? it, believe it or not, yeah, better than high V oh, Chinese. Better, slightly, slightly. Better than Tandish the peanut butter rest. chicken is a little bit better at high V than <laughs> what you would find in China, but. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to continue emailing. Don't mind me. Just okay. talk about football amongst yourselves. Well, where do we want to start with football? We, what do you guys want to get into? What should be discussed? Should we talk hospital trips first? Yeah, let's get the hospital trip out of the way. Uh, sure. Let's go. Have at it. Well, two players uh, got sent to the hospital for winter conditioning workouts. Um, Tyjon Lindsay. And Dylan Owen, correct? Yes. Um, you know, it's it, it's one of those deals where everybody comes out rapid fire with an opinion on it of some sort. Either the last staff didn't have him conditioned well enough, so of course this is going to happen. Or, you know, there's concern about, you know, what are they doing over there in the safety. And honestly... Um, you know, it, it sounds like they, they tried to take the proper precautions on this one. You know, they, they were watching guys pretty closely, and they were trying to back them down if it looked like there was a problem. And I, I just think it's the way it is with workouts. And, it, of course, I have a body where I work out a lot, as you can tell. Um, Late at night, from what I understand. Yeah, I do. I like to go to Anytime Fitness at 1 a.m. But it... <laughs> From what I read on the internet, not what I do, but what I read on the internet about workouts, I think if you change up things dramatically or do, you know, you're working different muscles and stuff that you haven't before, your stuff's going to happen sometimes. And that, that's what happened here. It's not good. Um, but I, I think Scott Frost responded to it well by just saying this is what happened as we know it. And here it is. Here it is for the public to know about. I mean, it's a perception thing too, right? I mean, when you compare how things were dealt with this week versus how say Oregon did yes or Iowa to a lesser degree I mean that, that's pretty much what you have to do is you have to say this happened this is what ha- like get specific about what happened uh and I think people are kind of willing to forgive it as long as the the guys are you know healthy and fine and it sounds like that they're back with the team so I'm not saying this is a good opinion to have, but I think it's a popular one in the state. I think a lot of people honestly kind of like seeing that their guys are getting pushed to that level, and I don't, I don't know that I like that, but that I would bet if, if you took polling data on the state, there's a lot of people like, oh, yeah, they're finally working the boys like they're supposed to. I think that's out there. Well, that kind of goes back to the whole assumption that like a – kind of prison yard style of working out is the best way to instill toughness, especially if you're, you know, spraying guys with hoses and stuff like yeah. that randomly um, to really toughen them up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you both kind of hit on all of it. I I have long sort of rolled my eyes to the way that people react to strength and conditioning news. But, I, I mean, this is really serious. You're talking about people's careers and that can be uh you know this can be a very dangerous right. thing and and you don't know how they're going to bounce back from it so you know i in my opinion nobody should ever be rooting for this uh, for for guys to be going to the hospital um so i i think that it's, it's serious i think they handled it in the right fashion i think that they attempted to avoid this at all costs uh, but it happens and then so um i mean they move on from it it, it sounds like 
from what I've heard from various uh, places that the, the workouts are going well. Some of the guys are responding to them very well, and some guys are struggling with it. But I don't think that's any different than any other year in the history of, of winter conditioning. Uh, it's just going to be displayed differently and talked about differently because you have a different staff involved with it. And ultimately, what they do here has to set them up for the spring, which sets them up for the summer, which sets them up for the fall to the season. So yeah. it's a first step in, of many. Uh, yeah, I I'm with you. I always think it's funny when people evaluate strength and conditioning coaches from a distance. Yeah, I like, have no like, idea. What I doing. I have no idea. If, I mean, I yes, you can take on field results to a certain level in, in evaluating guys, I guess. But even that, I don't think is always fair. Like I I would not be willing to say that Mark Phillip did a poor job just because the team went four and eight. I right. think there were so many layers to that, and I don't think a lot of them honestly had to do with the team being poorly conditioned. You know, I did. You know, I know they got pushed around against Iowa and stuff, but um, I, I just, I just don't put that all on the strength coach. It's just like James Dobson when he was here. He was really popular. Then when he left, everybody's like, "Oh, James Dobson didn't know what he's doing. They got to get a new guy in there." And then you hear people down where James Dobson is now saying he's the best strength coach in the country. So yeah. it just depends. He's at Vanderbilt now, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and they've done pretty well. So I, I think probably the last three guys Nebraska have had have probably been decent strength coaches. Any more thoughts on the strength program, Bruns? Uh No, I, I think. <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, the, the kind of along the lines of, of that as well, I always kind of chuckle at the, you know, the puke bucket stories and everybody's puking and you know obviously that's i guess a good sign that they're working hard but i don't know necessarily that the uh puke bucket to win ratio what what that is but somebody needs to find that stat in the yeah. state of statistics taking over that should be out there like a an analytics type yeah, uh, like puke bucket puke stat. to win ratio a summer yeah. conditioning it would be done like from june to july how many how many puke buckets were used, you know, and how many wins did this correlate to? So Brian, as a former All-State soccer <laughs> honorable mention, how many times were you All pushed City, to, the, to the brink as, uh, in, in your, your workouts? And one time, I only JV pu- basketball player. Yeah, I only oh, puked. yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to leave that out. Yeah, uh, I only puked one time in my athletic career. How about you? I mean, I played baseball, none. Uh, just once. Golf. Uh, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like a coach who's kind of outside the box golf coach who just says you like just running stairs. Going. <laughs> you were running stairs for golf? No, I. That would be an example of something that uh, would be a little outside. That's how I would coach golf. Yeah. I mean, I can't just load up that bag, the golf bag full of cinder blocks, and just send you out on the course. You think you're going to perform on those last four holes if you're not doing the work? I, I away no from the course. I know when I play 18 <laughs> that I generally play worse on the uh, the last four holes, and exactly, I, I wear down. I don't have the the conditioning for it. I'm a I'm a nine hole player. <laughs> to be fair, I'm not even that. I'm terrible. But. You don't. Uh... Hold up nine fingers once you make the turn <laughs> to signify what's coming. That you're gonna dominate the end. Didn't you play like 54 holes one day over in Scotland? Uh, I did. What is wrong with you? My my back was wrecked that day. <laughs> that just sounds awful to me. 36 would be tough, but 
I mean, I could do it. 54, just... Yeah, no cart and carrying carrying the clubs. My, uh, I think my dad was going through about 20, 20 Advil a day, which he probably would have had some kidney issues if we would have kept that up for longer. And this has been a fascinating <laughs> podcast so far today. Uh, so moving off of the, the winter conditioning, what other team things we want to kind of jump into here before we finish up with recruiting? Hmm. Do we, do we just want to go right to recruiting? Well, I mean, Brian's been writing a couple of team breakdowns. Have you noticed anything in there that it jumps out to you? Are yeah, you that's going good. Through this? Um, I like, as I've kind of went through the scholarship numbers during this roster rundown series, I think kind of a small thing but important thing is I like how they're dividing – they're really dividing the scholarships out within the class pretty well now. I mean, with some of the JUCOs they've added and stuff, um, there's much more symmetry to it. It feels like you got three here, three here, three here, you know, instead of you have five seniors and one sophomore, and it kind of messes with you in recruiting where you got to go out one class and get, you know, five of this thing out of desperation. I, I feel like there's – I don't think it's just luck. I think there's some smart planning there where, you know, let's even this thing out a little bit. It's not just about, per se, getting 15 defensive backs in there or something. It's about, yes, you have those numbers, but they're also divided by class pretty equally. So that's been something I've noticed that I it's – a, it's a small detail, but those things matter. Is concern about uh, scholarship numbers at wide receiver and defensive back warranted in your opinion? I think it definitely was like seven or eight weeks ago. When you look at what they had at wide receiver, I think the casual fan, I understand where they're at with this because they read over and over again about wide receiver recruits in different places. And they're like, man, it's all that's all they recruit over there. And But if you actually look at the numbers, um, they were in dire need. Aside from Stanley Morgan and J.D. Spielman, they didn't really have anything that's proven. Zach Darlington was never really a contributor there. He's not even there anymore as he's leaving for the Army. And so they had five five scholarship guys, um, and now what? They have nine receivers, I think. So it's, it's they, they really helped their cause there by adding four guys. Well, I mean, sticking with that, we can jump kind of right into recruiting here. Scholarship numbers, uh, as reported by a couple outlets here, Nebraska could be taking 24 to 27. I'm somewhat dubious on how that all works uh, with their their current numbers. I still think that they'll be closer to the 22 that we've been reporting. I do think that that means that they could be adding some players after the spring because I think they'll be invested in the graduate transfer market and all of that. But looking at what they have coming up. So Matthew Tago set to announce a decision on Saturday. Javante Jean-Baptiste looking like he's a signing day decision. Cam Taylor looking like he's a signing day decision. Several visitors coming in this weekend. I mean, it's it's easy to see why or how Nebraska could really fill up with this class. I don't think that they're going to take everybody. But uh, I do think that... <laughs> I do think as we've got some background noise here going on, uh, that... They're, they're set up really well to, to really kind of finish off this thing. I, I still feel good, despite the late run by Texas A&M about Javante Jean-Baptiste, the team that I'm worried uh, that Nebraska may not be able to hold off would be Virginia Tech, really. It, it 
I said, I, I think that if you look at what matters to that family, it's the relationship that's been established, and that would be Frost and Fuente. And those two have done the best in terms of that. So he's got an in-home with, with Fuente coming up, and then I think Urban Meyer's dropping by Thursday, even though it was reported by no less than 700 Ohio State recruiting writers that Ohio State had dropped him off the board completely. Urban's just going to New Jersey for fun, apparently. So For Springsteen. Yeah, <laughs> Springsteen, a Nebraska media favorite. So I, I think that there's a lot kind of happening in all of that. I mean, in what sort of storylines as we are a week away from signing day jump out to you? Nothing? Okay. Sorry, one more. I What what kind of storylines as Nebraska looks to finish their class as we're a week away jump out to you? Oh, the I think the offensive line recruiting um, is probably the, the biggest one. I mean, you've got one visitor on campus right now, uh, a couple more coming in this – or at least one coming in this weekend, uh, Willie Canty. Um, you know, how that kind of – all shakes out. It sounds like Jarrett Bell's probably uh, not an option there for Nebraska yeah, anymore. Yeah, I not to go uh, Ohio State, but it seems like Bell is no longer on the board based on what Nebraska has been doing here the last couple of weeks. Anyway, yeah, it's continued. Yeah, I think that's probably the big one for me. I mean, do they get Jean Baptiste? I mean, he's a huge target for them. Um, you know, just looking at talent that they could add. I mean, you know, Maurice Washington is going to be a bit of a battle, um, it sounds like, with Arizona State. So, I mean, it's just, you know, how do they how do they really improve the talent and athletic ability? A couple of those spots is the most interesting thing to me. And then what they do at tackle, because there's been so many late offers, um, kind of out of the blue offers to uh, guys that, you know, in the 500-mile radius that weren't even really on their radar three weeks ago. Yeah, tackle to me is the biggest need still to be filled. I, I am interested, no matter what happens with Maurice Washington, I know there's some who think he's trending toward Arizona State right now. Um, but I'm really fascinated by, I mean, they sent everybody to see him. And it's six, they had six guys yeah, down to six, see him. Six That's coaches a big group. Give, giving them yeah. that kind of attention. So they're obviously all in on him. And that interests me from the standpoint of they've already done a lot to – to bulk up that running back room with adding Greg Bell and a guy like Miles Jones who's versatile, can play receiver or running back. Um, this That's building competition. I really like that. And I know with that, you got to manage a room that's going to be full of egos and stuff like that. That's a tough position to, to operate with six or seven guys sometimes. But I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of just – compete and if somebody leaves the program because they're the fourth guy so be it you find somebody else and you keep going yeah and, and what you sort of described there is they've really hammered overall athleticism of the offense and they they had to go out and get some guys to improve that and i think they definitely have uh even if they don't get a maurice washington because of the people you said greg bell greg greg bell miles jones uh you know, some other guys in there, Jerron Woodyard at wide receiver, Dominic Watt, who I think could play right away as a freshman mm-hmm. because of his build. I think they, they felt when they inherited this team that the overall athleticism on the offensive side of the ball was lacking. And that's why you see so many commits that that's the focus. I mean, you have all these people wanting the offensive linemen. That's not where they see the roster imbalance at. They see it in terms of overall athleticism. In part because if you look at what their offense was good at doing for Central Florida, 
is creating mismatches in space and taking advantage of it. So if you don't have it here at Nebraska, you have to really go get that. And I don't think that's something that we probably thought as much of when they came here. At least I didn't think that. And now you see how they've gone about recruiting. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, one, one number that's kind of compares to that is last year in Nebraska's you know, passing game, I think there were, there were four players – that had, what was it, over 300 yards receiving. It was some specific number. But the same number, 300 yards receiving, there were like eight at UCF that hit that total. It's just the way they spread it around so much. Um, and that's kind of what you're talking about. You just got to keep building guys so that you can do that, where a defense can't lock in on one guy because there's two or three other guys who can do the same thing to you on the other side. Well, if you're versatile, too, you, you don't have to sub guys in and out. Allows you to play faster. You keep the defense right. from from being able to sub too. So that's a huge part of it. Yeah. Well, they've got some decisions coming up. Uh, we will maybe have a podcast before signing day, and then after signing day, I don't know. We want to get together on Tuesday next week. I don't see why not. Do a do a preview podcast. Sure. All right. Well, you're getting a double podcast. Ooh, next double week. podcast. So we'll we'll go into more of those decisions. I want to run through a couple of the official visitors before we close this out. You have Maurice Washington on campus, who I mentioned. Bruns has mentioned the offensive line. Willie Canty set to be an official visit this weekend. And really, it opens up that he may be the number one offensive line target as of right now. So Willie Canty uh, could be a guy that ends up in Nebraska's class as their offensive lineman. You also have Andre Hunt, a wide receiver that probably isn't talked about enough. I think that Nebraska is going to find a way to take him as part of the class. I think he fits really well. He's a speedster would give them a vertical threat. Uh, they've gotten some guys like that, but I think he's a little bit different in, in that regard. Um, Camp Montgomery might be coming in this weekend as well, a defensive back from Florida. He's a four-star player. So they they've just keep bringing in these athletes. I mean, they, they've got seven official visits left. I think that they could get seven people in this weekend. And so um, it'll be, you know, interesting – who that group is going to be, and then ultimately who out of it has the green light to commit, who doesn't, those kinds of things. And you've got people already scheduled. I think if they get Cam Taylor and Matthew Tago, there's two. If they can end up with Javante, uh, that's three. You never know with Washington and and Hunt and all those guys. So it it could really add up for them. Um, Otito Ogbonia. The, the defensive lineman, I didn't even mention him. He's visiting this weekend, too. So it's going to be a full house for them. Tago um, will be deciding before Saturday. Yeah, he's, yeah. We're, in talking to his coach, um, you know, Nebraska is very much looking at him as a quarterback. Where do you kind of see his skill set being? And where does he – I mean, do you see him being able to stick at quarterback? I think that he could. I don't see him being your – long-term starter ever there's just something and I feel like I'm maybe the low man on on Tago I just I don't think that he's got a, a, a nice arm he's athletic enough to play in this offense it's just there's there's a red flag to me when nobody else is recruiting him as a quarterback uh it's different and and I just don't see I mean when you look at Adrian Martinez and you watch Adrian Martinez highlights you see how he fits and what he's going to do and how it all works. When I watch Matthew Tago, I think, okay, this guy's big, and he's at the high school level, just a really good athlete dominating. But how does that translate when you put him at the quarterback spot where all the other athletes are good? 
at the college level. And I don't know if I see a guy that's going to to be that position long term. But but I do think he's going to end up as part of Nebraska's class. So we're going to have an opportunity to see, you know, how that all comes together. And it's kind of the perfect guy to have on your roster. I mean, just that he can play that position, mm-hmm. as we've seen, you know, what happened at Iowa State with Joel Lanning. You know, you get a kid like that, he might come in handy someday down the road. You never know. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think there's any guarantee he stays a quarterback. But given where they want numbers to be and, and the potential for attrition mm-hmm. with guys that might want to go seek opportunities elsewhere, it makes sense to have them as part of it. So, all right, well, we'll come back to you on Tuesday with a uh, pre-signing day preview. I'm sure we'll have many thoughts from the weekend with the visitors and many thoughts as we look into a, uh, another national signing day. It's, it's almost here. And then it's time to move on to 2019 where Nebraska's already made 7,000 offers in the last week. (laughs) And my head is swimming, and I can't even name six players in that class yet. So that'll be fun. Uh, If you want all of the information from this visit weekend, and if you were one of the the smart people that jumped on board with Nebraska 24-7 with our offer from last weekend, we thank you. Uh, We're excited about what we can bring. And you can catch all of that stuff at nebraska.247sports.com.